Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. third quarter investors conference call. Today's call is being recorded. Legal counsel requires us to advise that the discussion scheduled to take place today may contain forward-looking statements that involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties. Actual results may be materially different from any future results, performance or achievements complicated in the forward-looking statements. Additional information concerning factors that could use Actual results to materially differ from those in the forward-looking statements is contained in the company's annual information form as filed with the Canadian Securities Administrators and in the company's annual report on Form 4-F as filed with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. As a reminder, today's call is being recorded. Today is October the 27, 2020, and at this time for opening remarks and introductions. I would like to turn the call over to Global Chairman and Chief Executive Officer, Jay Hennick. Sir, you may begin. Thank you, op- uh, Operator. Uh, good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us for our third quarter conference call. As the Operator mentioned, I'm Jay Hennick, Chairman and Chief Executive Officer of the company. With me today is John Fredrickson, Chief Operating Officer, and Christian Mayer, Chief Financial Officer. This conference call is being webcast and is available on the Investor Relations section of our website. A presentation slide deck is also available to accompany today's call. Despite the impact of the pandemic, Collier's reported better-than-expected results for the third quarter with continued growth from recurring services. These results are a testament to the resilience of our business model a business that is also diversified by geography, by service, and by asset class. Revenues came in at $692 million, down 6%. Adjusted EBITDA was $92 million, up 9%. And adjusted earnings per share came in at $1.08, up 4% relative to the prior year. While uncertainties persist, We expect our full-year results to come in stronger than anticipated. As a result, we have increased our operating assumptions for the balance of the year, as you will hear. In a few minutes, I'll turn things over to Christian and John for comment, but before I do, I'd like to make four points today. The first is, culture counts. Our unique entrepreneurial culture at Collier's has always been a differentiator for us. Culture takes years to create and discipline to sustain, and that's why it's so difficult to copy. I'm extremely proud of our leadership teams around the world who continue to execute the Collier's way. Our bias for action and propensity to make informed decisions quickly has always allowed us to respond better than most to contain costs, to align resources, while always continuing to provide essential advice to our clients. 
I'm also confident that coming out of this pandemic, we will, we will adapt to the new normal faster and better than the others with our unique entrepreneurial and enterprising culture leading the way. Second, like we've done in the past, Collier's is programmed to capitalize on opportunities. We always maintain a strong balance sheet to capitalize on opportunities to strengthen our business, especially in times of change when others are either hitting the pause button or running for cover. This year was no exception. So far, we've invested $240 million in acquisitions, up from $45 million last year. During the quarter, we continued to integrate recently acquired Collier's Mortgage and Mazer Consulting, and also completed the acquisition of Collier's Nashville, a leader in one of the fastest growing markets in the United States. Though still in the early days, I'm very excited about the potential for all of these additions this year and look forward to helping them accelerate their growth as part of our global platform. We continue to see great opportunities out there to add talent, to expand our services, and to streamline our businesses while also looking for incremental acquisition targets to strengthen and further diversify our business. Number three, almost 60% of our earnings now come from high quality recurring services. Having such a high percentage of our earnings coming from recurring revenues gives Collier's more resilience than ever and clearly sets us apart. Not only in terms of the percentage of recurring revenues, but also in terms of the quality of the recurring revenues. Today, the investment management, property management, project management, engineering and design, and mortgage services represent a growing majority of our business, and we fully expect this growth to continue in the years to come. Make no mistake, there's nothing wrong with traditional capital markets and leasing. Transaction volumes may be down, but they will be back, and they'll be back strongly as the economy stabilizes because they're essential services that are needed and required by real estate owners and occupiers everywhere. In fact, we're already seeing some signs of recovery in most of our markets, as John will talk about. Finally, it's time to, a better, to better appreciate the value of what we're creating at Collier's. The Collier's leadership team has been creating value for shareholders for a long time. Over the past 25 years, we've delivered about 20% compound annual growth rate in share value. This record of achievement is enviable to say the least, but it also suggests that we know a thing or two about how to value and build high-quality service businesses. The way I see it, Collier's remains materially undervalued. From an investment perspective, whether you value us on a standalone basis or on the basis of the sum of the, sum of the parts, Collier's trades at a significant discount to other property or professional service companies with similar characteristics. Where can you find a global, highly diversified company with an institutional brand 
compelling growth prospects on a global basis with almost 60% of its earnings coming from resilient revenue streams, trading at the value that we trade at, especially one with an impressive track record of creating value for shareholders where management has so much skin in the game, almost 40% of the equity of our company. With that said, I'd like to now pass things over to Christian. Christian? Thank you, Jay. As announced earlier today, Collier has reported better than expected financial results for the third quarter. My comments follow the flow of the slides posted on the investor relations section of colliers.com to accompany this call. Please note that the non-GAAP measures referenced on this call are defined in the press release issued today. All references to revenue growth are calculated based on local currency. Third quarter revenues were $692 million, down 7% relative to the prior year. Internal revenues were down 19%, primarily due to the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on our transaction and capital markets operations globally. Our internal revenue variance showed significant improvement sequentially, that is, relative to Q2 2020, as economies began to reopen after the initial phase of the pandemic. Third quarter consolidated adjusted EBITDA was $92 million, up 8% from $84 million last year, with margins at 13.3% versus 11.4% in the prior year quarter. Margins in each region were impacted by reduced revenues but mitigated by continuing aggressive measures to manage expenses, including discretionary support and admin costs, as well as compensation. In the case of the Americas, margins were favorably impacted by acquisitions. America's Q3 revenues totaled $423 million, essentially flat versus the prior year period overall. America's outsourcing and advisory revenues were up 25%, as a result of engineering and loan servicing revenues from recent acquisitions. Capital markets revenues were down 6%, but included the benefit of debt origination revenues from a recent acquisition. Leasing revenues were down 18%, a significant improvement from the 45% reduction experienced during Q2. Adjusted EBITDA was 55 million, up 41% last year, with significant contribution from acquisitions, as well as continuing cost savings implemented early in the pandemic. In the EMEA region, Q3 revenues were 117 million, down 19% overall. Capital markets was down 37%, leasing was down 25%, and outsourcing and advisory was down 4%, all impacted by the ongoing pandemic. Adjusted EBITDA for the region was $8 million compared to $13 million last year. In the Asia-Pacific region, Q3 revenues were $110 million, down 23%. Leasing and capital markets were down 45% and 35%, respectively, with all markets and asset classes impacted. Outsourcing and advisory revenues were down 5%. Adjusted EBITDA was $13 million compared to $19 million last year. Q3 investment management revenues were $42 million, up 4%. Assets under management were $36.2 billion as at September 30, 2020, up modestly from June 30. Harrison Street's demogra demographic 
investment strategy focuses on lower volatility alternative asset classes including student and senior housing medical office storage and social infrastructure and for the most part q3 investment management revenues were 42 million up four percent assets under management were 36.2 billion at september 30th 2020 up modestly from june 30th 2020. harrison street's demographic investment strategy focuses on lower volatility alternative asset classes including student and senior housing medical office storage and social infrastructure and for the most part the underlying value of these assets remained stable adjusted EBITDA for the quarter was 15 million versus 16 million in the comparative period impacted by catch-up fees on a new fund earned in the prior year quarter our net debt to adjusted EBITDA leverage ratio was 1.5 times as of September 30th 2020 which was the same as the prior quarter and well within our target range the full impact of the pandemic remains far-reaching and uncertain however as Jay mentioned we have updated our working assumption for the balance of the year to reflect better than expected operating results for the third quarter as well as to narrow the range for the balance of the year the updated revenue range for 2020 full year is a 10 to 15 percent decline relative to 2019 the updated adjusted EBITDA range is a 10 to 15 percent decline relative to 2019 looking forward we expect transactional leasing and capital markets revenues both of which have a highly variable cost structure to remain below 2019 levels for the fourth quarter investment management and outsourcing and advisory revenues are expected to remain on track for the fourth quarter that concludes my prepared remarks and i would now like to turn the call over to john thank you christian as reflected in our q3 results and updated working assumption for the balance of the year the level of uncertainty related to the COVID-19 pandemic that negatively impacted our operations and those of most of our clients abated somewhat during the last few months, although we are not out of the woods yet. We saw a positive change in sentiment and momentum during the last few months, and we expect this trend to continue for the balance of the year and beyond, supporting modest improvement in business activity. As a global business and leading provider of professional services and investment management to property occupiers, owners, and investors, Collier's continued to put clients first, providing our diverse and relevant experience during this unprecedented period. Based on our experience since the outset of the pandemic, we are confident that the time, attention, and value delivered today will be rewarded by our clients in the future when the current level of uncertainty reduces and longer-term decision-making resumes. In fact, we're already seeing tangible examples of our advice leading to significant client engagements, most notably in our workplace advisory practices, which we anticipate will lead to future transaction advisory work. Across our global business, our business leaders, professionals, and support staff remain highly engaged despite the challenging operating conditions and the cost containment measures in place. With just about 6% of our employee base still furloughed, primarily in transactional services, we continue to manage our business carefully and expect to bring back additional support and capacity as activity levels warrant. 
Despite the pandemic, Colliers continues to strategically invest in talent across our global platform and take advantage of opportunities to close gaps and build capabilities by attracting leaders and professionals looking to be part of a global business where the entrepreneurial spirit is alive and well. We expect this to continue and accelerate going forward. And to complement this investment in people, we continue to invest in technology that helps improve our productivity and service to clients. Over the next couple of weeks, you will hear about our latest innovation, Workplace Expert, a mobile-enabled app designed to serve as a user-friendly diagnostic tool to visualize the future workplace using a variety of inputs based on client preferences. This technology was the first developed by Colliers globally under our new updated IT platform and strategy development that focuses on our clients' most pressing needs. A beta version of this technology with the input and involvement of our global workplace practices team has been responsible for winning workplace advisory engagements with several Hallmark clients in Europe and the U.S. recently. While cost management remains an operational priority across our business, other areas of focus include the integration of Collier's Mortgage into our U.S. brokerage operations, as well as more recently acquired Mazer Consulting. In both cases, we've accelerated the process of cross-selling by leveraging our relationships across relevant advisory practices that drive value to our clients and brokerage professionals across our U.S. platform. Looking beyond the current crisis, we expect to see a significant uptick in leasing and capital markets transactions across our global markets, largely related to deferred decision-making by occupiers and investors to reverse, driving a recovery in activity which, from an operational perspective, we intend to maximize by leveraging our recent investments in acquisitions, talent, and technology and emerging from the current crisis stronger than ever before. That concludes our prepared remarks, and I would now like to turn the call back to our operator to facilitate questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen as a reminder to ask the question, you will need to press star then one on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. Again, that's star one to ask the question. Our first question comes from the line of George Dumet with Scotiabank. Your line is open. Coleman, and congrats on yet another strong quarter. Thanks, George. Thank you. Um, you guys raised your your 2020 working uh, assumptions. Uh, Q4 is our big quarter. Uh, you must have some visibility there. Can you maybe share what you're seeing um, in terms of, of pent-up demand? And, and second part to that question, do you guys feel comfortable that you've baked in enough wiggle room there uh, giving the pretty meaningful second waves that we're seeing in, uh, in Europe and the Americas. Well, George, uh, I mean, when you look at the working assumption, it is a working assumption, and there's a new number of, uh, you know, factors at play there, and certainly, you know, we can't predict uh, the future, um, but we can uh, take a look at our pipelines of activity, and uh, as, as you're aware, uh, for sure, Q4 is a very strong transactional activity quarter, uh, in particular in our EMEA business. 
and, and our EMEA business typically in a normal year generates you know, close to half its EBITDA in Q4 um, because it has that high transactional activity weighting. Um, so, you know, we've uh, taken a look at our pipelines, uh, talked to our teams, and, and we feel uh, at this stage, uh, based on what we know today, uh, quite confident um, in our uh, working assumption for Q4. Uh, that being said, um, you know, if there's new factors that come to play, um, you know, we'll have to, uh, uh, you know, those are, those are ones we, we can't anticipate. Okay, thanks. And maybe a, a question to John as to where we're trending on that $150 million uh, in cost savings. I think we're at 60 last quarter. And second part to that is how much do you guys uh, plan on investing back into the business over the next, uh, maybe next few quarters? Uh, look, uh, in terms of that number, we're pretty much right on where, where we were going to be. Uh, so there really has been no change to that, uh, that number. Uh, that's been a consistent uh, factor since we initially identified what we expected those savings to be. So we're running, you know, right at that level. And in terms of uh, investment, um, I, I'm not going to quantify that, George. Um, it is very selective and uh, somewhat opportunistic around talent. Uh, it depends on the availability and whether or not we can uh, connect and make arrangements which uh, work for, for those that uh, we're hopeful of joining Colliers and, and for the company itself. And then ongoing um, spend around particular technology, we've already indicated our expected uh, amount for CapEx this year, which is down, but um, roughly half of the CapEx relates to technology in some way. And while we have deferred certain expenditures in that area, we are still focusing on those that will drive the greatest return to Colliers during the current period and beyond. So um, we're still, still investing there, definitely. Okay, thanks. And just one last one, if I may, uh, maybe to Jay. Uh, I'm just wondering if the pandemic has at all kind of uh, made you rethink the investment management segment, maybe more particular, uh, what types of asset classes that you'd be interested in acquiring? Um, it's, a, it's a good question, but I think the best way to, do, to, to answer it is to go back uh, to the very uh, strategic decision we made at the time we entered investment management. We didn't want to go into the investment management business as a same as. Um, and we wanted to have a unique, a, a differentiated uh, a product or, or a service offering we spent a lot of time looking at virtually every type of platform in investment management around the world and concluded that alternate asset classes where institutions were uh, significantly expanding their allocations uh, was the place for us to be. They also have a, a moat in that business because it's a, it's a more complicated um, it's a more complicated uh, uh, way of managing assets, which creates a differentiator, keeps most of the people out of the, uh, out of the space. And so we concluded that Harrison Street was the, was the ideal platform. Um, and on top of that, they had an incredible management team with a great desire to grow really on all fours with what we look for in a partnership. Uh, uh, relationship. So um, the pandemic has not changed that at all. In fact, uh, we're um, 
uh, in luck, skill, call it what you want, but we're very happy where we are. Uh, we continue to look in alternate asset classes as a way to uh, uh, grow that segment of our business, uh, but also uh, assets or strategies that have clear differentiation. Uh, they're not the same as, same as. They're clearly differentiated strategies. So um, I think we have a tremendous platform here and a tremendous uh, leadership team. It's obviously been growing, as you can see, uh, despite the pandemic. Uh, most others have seen asset uh, values fall. We're uh, essentially flat. And I would say we're flat because um, some of the investors have pressed pause on, it, on making, making further allocations. It had nothing to do uh, with the, uh, the quality of the assets that we, uh, we administer. So we're very happy with Harrison Street. think it has a bright future. Looking at some uh, interesting opportunities to continue to grow it. We have an amazing management team that we've got great confidence in. And, um, and I think the future in that segment of our business is very bright. Okay, great. Thanks for your answers off the line. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Frederick Beston with Raymond James. Your line is open. Hi, good morning everybody. Was uh, was wondering if morning. you're able was wondering if you're able to quantify the contribution that both Mazer and uh, Doherty made to the outsourcing and advisory and, and the capital markets uh, service lines, respectively. Yeah, Fred, we, uh, we give the uh, um, internal growth rates uh, on a consolidated basis, uh, not by region. Um, but, uh, you know, as, as you're aware, the, uh, those businesses are, are concentrated in the Americas uh, segment. Um, and uh, I'll tell you that uh, you know, the EBITDA growth uh, internally in, in Americas was positive, uh, and the contribution from the acquisitions was, uh, was significant, as I outlined in my comments. Okay, cool. Um, on a related topic, are engineering and mortgage banking services that you plan on, on growing aggressively in the EMEA and Asia-back regions, or is there u something unique about these markets that would, you, that would keep you from doing that? I think, I think our goal in, in both segments is they were additional engines for growth that were very closely tied to our core business. So uh, we are looking at opportunities uh, in both segments globally. Uh, we are uh, obviously taking advantage of our existing platforms and spending most of our time trying to leverage what we own uh, into bigger businesses, bigger opportunities. But um, having these additional recurring uh, earnings service lines within our family uh, provides great growth opportunities, not just in uh, the Americas, but uh, virtually around the world. Thanks, Jay. And are there service lines that you'd like to add um, that you're not currently offering that uh, some of your peers may, may be offering, but that you're not? Uh, well, you know, it's an interesting question. Um, uh, I'm not sure our peers are our peers as much as people think. Um, we have really evolved our business. As you would know, Fred, you've followed us for a lot of years. 
if you compare us to uh, the, you know, some of the names that you mentioned, I think we are closer to property service and, um, and professional service lines and less so those other businesses. Yes, a portion of our business overlaps with the others, but uh, we are increasingly evolving differently. So that's what I would say to that comment. And the second thing I would say is that um, we have, uh, we've been fortunate uh, to add two great new engines for growth, three if you include investment management, which we completed in early 18, and, and in fact, it had been on the books for even longer than that. So. We've got our um, we've got so many opportunities to grow um, in, in our existing service lines. We have an incredible culture, which I've talked about. You've seen in action for so many years. Means we can execute on transactions globally, despite what's going on in, um, in with travel and a variety of other things. So we feel like we are in a very unique position and, um, and uh, have a unique culture that is used to um, growing internally and through acquisition and will continue to pursue that uh, over the next number of years. Did we lose you? Thank you. No, thank you. Um, congrats. Congrats and keep it going. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Stephen McLeod with BMO Capital. Your line is open. Uh, thank you. Good morning, guys, and congratulations on another great quarter. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Um, the uh, the outsourcing and advisory business, you know, really uh, really led the way this this quarter in terms of uh, the revenue contribution and the revenue resiliency. Um, can you just, you know, notwithstanding obviously that the uh, the mortgage and engineering services businesses were were positive contributors, can you just give a breakdown of how uh, each segment within outsourcing and advisory uh, trended in the quarter? Management was uh, very very stable, uh, Steve. Uh, like you know, uh, flat to perhaps even up in a couple of markets. Um, and then uh, the uh, project management business uh, was uh, down slightly, and in, uh, in, particularly in India. And India's had some very challenging uh, uh, situations uh, with its uh, control of the coronavirus, and uh, we're watching that closely. And, and that business uh, has uh, has has seen some delays in its, uh, in its productivity uh, in the, in the uh, project management uh, space. Uh, so um, evaluation and advisory continues to be uh, resilient, um, and uh, you know, business there, uh, particularly in the U.S., is, is very strong, uh, but, but also solid uh, elsewhere around the world. Okay. And, and would... Will the engineering business, will you know, Mazer and uh, and Collier's Mortgage, be uh, be you know new 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 platforms within outsourcing and advisory? Like, will you be segmenting those revenues separately in different segments and different sort of verticals?
uh, and uh, we will not be uh, explicitly segmenting those. Uh, so they will be part of the uh, of that outsourcing advisory group, just like the other components. Right. Okay. Okay. No, that's great. Thank you. Um, and then. When you think about you know, Q4, you talked a little bit about the pipelines that you have and the visibility that you have. Um, how would you characterize your visibility beyond Q4 into 2021? Is that something that is, uh, is beginning to um, you know, evolve or emerge in terms of your sight lines? Um, Steve, it's John. Look, um, you know, this, is, this, this is all about uh, uncertainty and um, you know, I think at this point it's a little bit too early to tell what 21 uh, will, will show for us, but one thing we do know is that there has been an incredible deferral of activity, particularly in leasing, where companies have opted to make short-term decisions, and ultimately that's not really where they want to be. They just need a bit more clarity, and then we expect there to be a resumption of longer term that might adjust a little bit relative to the way it was in the past, but most occupiers are going to want certainty, and certainly landlords do as well, beyond just sort of a one-year uh, roll forward. So that is coming, and whether that is in 2021 or you know later, we don't know at this point, but it's significant, and uh, it will occur um, you know, either next year or the year after. So we certainly have that as uh, sort of anecdotal evidence as what we expect. Okay, that's uh, that's helpful. Um, and then maybe just finally, you know, you, you you mentioned the entrepreneurial culture, and you've made quick decisions around uh, the cost adjustments that you needed in the early days of the pandemic, and clearly that's benefited um, EBITDA over the last couple quarters. I'm just curious, as you see revenues recover, um, do you have to bring more costs back back into the platform to support those revenues, or? Or are you now at a position where you can pursue other revenue growth opportunities without adding back, without adding the costs that you've taken out back in? So, Stephen, we we we've, uh, we expect to take out a 150 million uh, this year of, of costs, and as we look forward, um, you know, we think we can uh, become uh, more efficient in a number of areas. I mean, this has been a real uh, a bit of a, a challenging but yet uh, rewarding experience in some ways with silver linings uh, uh, appearing uh, through uh, some of the things we've seen and, and, and learned. And uh, certainly our hope is that when we uh, start to reinstitute some of these costs uh, in, in, in 2021 and going forward, that we will not have to reinstitute uh, all of these costs. We will be able to... Uh, make some uh, pretty significant transformations in the way we do business, uh, the way we approach you know, travel and discretionary expenses, uh, the way we approach some of our support staffing um, uh, in our, in our uh, transactional businesses particularly, but also in the other businesses. Um, so our intention would be that uh, uh, our cost structure will be different uh, going forward as we, as we return uh, to more normal uh, conditions. Okay, that's uh, that's helpful. And then maybe just one one final one, um, just maybe for Jay. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about uh, the Collier's Mortgage and Mazer and, and how those businesses have trended relative to your expectations um, in the you know somewhat short period that you've owned them. But obviously, you know, very strategically important decisions. Just wondering how your experience has been so far. So, uh, in, in terms of those businesses, we're very pleased with their performance uh, to date. Uh, we've owned them for a very short period of time. 
but uh, we spent, uh, you know, obviously a lot of time in, in diligence with them, so we know them uh, well, uh, and uh, and uh, the period we've owned them has been very, uh, very, very successful so far with integration proceeding well, as, as Jay's outlined, uh, and John also outlined, I think, uh, in, his, in his comments. Um, the Colliers Mortgage business uh, is benefiting from uh, some strong refinancing activity um, at the moment, and that will continue for the next few quarters. Uh, interest rates, as you know, are at historic lows, and it's an attractive time uh, for multifamily uh, property owners to refinance properties. Uh, so it is benefiting uh, from that, and it's also taking market share in uh, you know, Fannie Mae origination, uh, which is what we expected would happen. Uh, and, uh, and so th those factors are combining to, uh, to uh, bring some very solid uh, operating results. Um, the engineering uh, business uh, is uh, performing uh, well uh, in all the sectors that it, uh, it, it, it plays in, uh, and the uh, margin uh, performance there uh, as well has, has been strong with, uh, with strong staff utilization um, and productivity uh, from the client or from the uh, employee base. Great, thank you very much, and uh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Stephen Sheldon with Wim Blair. Your line is open. Hi, thanks, and congrats on the continued strong execution. Wanted to ask a little more directly um, about the visibility you have, especially as you look into 2021, into how your clients are thinking about their office footprints at this point and the adoption of remote working policies. Could it take an extended period for companies to think through work from home adoption, which could continue to weigh on lease durations for a period? Uh, Stephen, absolutely. I, I think uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it's going to take a time, a bit of time here to sort out. I mean, it's a perplexing issue when you think about it. I mean, and and and, and it's dynamic because it's it's changing and. You know, every company's got a different perspective on how important the workplace is and how, you know, it, it impacts our culture and, and all those kinds of things. The, 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 I mean, the short answer is that in the immediate term, it's, it's difficult to change the dynamics, and, and that's partly why there's been a deferral, I think, of so many decisions around leasing. But, you know, uh, as I said in my remarks, our workplace advisory businesses really run off their feet counseling with, you know, the who's who of, of companies that are all going through a discovery process currently to evaluate what they think best works for them going forward. And that's going to, uh, I think, unfold over the next, you know, several months and well into next year. And then beyond that, decisions will get made and we'll, there'll be a little bit more certainty. But it certainly is a, a great time to be in the workplace advisory business as long as you've got 24 hours of the day to dispense your advice. Got it. Makes sense. Um, and I think the thought out there has been that leasing activity would likely come back and recover before investment fails, in, in particular in an office, um, especially just given the impact that leasing dynamics within a property can have on a property's value. How do you think about that dynamic, especially as it seems like investment sales activity is holding up as well, arguably maybe a touch better than leasing so far? Yeah, I mean, the leasing, you know, the, the impact on leasing is really around 
um, you know, deferrals, which many companies have opted to sort of roll forward in, uh, in consultation with the landlords who obviously want to retain um, their tenants, roll forward a year forward. So the additional obligation, and based on the way most of the industry is paid on fees, the, uh, the fee, fees uh, are, are adjusted accordingly. So this becomes a bit of a short-term situation right now that depresses overall leasing revenues. But certainly the activity will resume and revenues will again come back to where they were before once companies are more engaged to commit to uh, longer periods of time uh, around uh, the time when they have more certainty as to what their future occupancy requirements are likely to be. So I think we'll start seeing a lot more of that once we get into, you know, say mid-2021 if, you know, the pandemic again kind of goes through the second wave here and then ultimately uh, resolves and uh, things come back to, you know, whatever the new normal is in, uh, in 2021 or beyond. Got it. And then last one for me, just curious what the M&A pipeline looks like right now. And, and have you seen anything notable in terms of valuation expectations out there, especially for smaller players that may have less flexibility to ride out the volatility? Um, you know, the short story is yes. I think there's a lot of people, uh, a lot of targets that uh, feel they missed uh, the, uh, the optimum time to potentially sell their business. I'm now talking about more traditional um, capital markets and leasing. Uh, we're being very, very careful there. Um, you, you know, we're excited about buying significant business uh, like our, our affiliate in, uh, in Nashville, which is uh, something like 90 professionals, fully balanced business, property management, valuation, project management, and expertise in healthcare, obviously, in that segment of the market. They happen to be the market leader also in Nashville. So from our perspective, that is a a profile type opportunity. We're seeing uh, some of those around the world, a couple in the US, several in Europe, uh, and a couple in Asia, more Australia, New Zealand in particular. Uh, but generally speaking, I think the, uh, it, it's, it's fertile for acquisitions right now, although valuations uh, for acquisitions, particularly those that have re high recurring earnings, uh, are, uh, are uh, up significantly, and that's because there's a lot of uh, private equity firms chasing these types, of, uh, these types of assets in the hope of potentially consolidating and doing whatever they do, and ultimately, uh, I think they're going to have uh, more... more um, more headwinds than normal given the maturity of, uh, of the marketplace. It's, it's um, very powerful for uh, Collier's Mortgage to associate itself with Collier's because there's so many different points of leverage both between Collier's and Harrison Street and I'd say the same uh, for Mazer. And uh, we're seeing that in a variety of different M&A opportunities. So, We've got a nice pipeline. Whether we'll be able to bring some of them home or not is a, is a different uh, question. But the beauty is um, when we make a deal, it's for the right reason. It's because 
the leadership teams align with our unique culture. They want to stay and continue to grow and leverage their business. And uh, that's been a great uh, differentiator for us uh, over not just the last few years, but the last 25 years as we've executed on our, uh, our growth strategy. Great. I appreciate the color. Thanks. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Daryl Young with TD Securities. Your line is open. Morning, guys. Uh, first question is on is on the Collier's mortgage business, and uh, just a point of clarification: um, How much of the the uh, mortgage origination and, and loan portfolio would have been uh, um, stemming from recommendations from Collier's originally, or is it all going to be net new and, and therefore rendered, uh, revenue synergy upside? Um, it's, it's it's early days, um, and uh, you know that's that is the fact. It's early days. Uh, we have uh, within the Collier's uh, platform a number of mortgage professionals that's, that uh, that work hard to find a debt for our clients uh, around the country. They never had the ability to uh, leverage and access um, an entity like uh, Collier's Mortgage that has the power of the pen in a particular group of asset class areas. So um, the early days have been, how do we leverage uh, that? How do we connect and create a flow of business? But it's still early days. Uh, the other thing that's very interesting is that Collier's Mortgage and Harrison Street uh, have a lot of alignment as well because Collier's Mortgage has the power of the pen to uh, provide lending uh, ca uh, capacity to uh, the types of assets that Harrison Street acquires as well. So in this acquisition, uh, we went in with, um, with two potential leverage opportunities. Uh, we've already been successful in both uh, originating and funding Collier's deals, not a lot yet, and uh, Harrison Street deals, one deal so far, but uh, it's still early day days. And, the average, the average um, uh, period between uh, signing a letter of intent and closing a transaction is several months. So we did start a few of them earlier than closing, uh, but I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how we develop both over the course of the next six months and beyond. Okay, great. And then uh, just a second question. In terms of uh, the brokerage business, it, it seems pretty clear that you're, you're taking significant market share uh, through this environment, uh, some of which is, is likely the, the enterprising culture. Uh, is there also an element of, of in the Americas specifically, the secondary markets are, are outperforming some of the gateway cities, or is that maybe just a little color there? So, you know, I would say two things. I would say, um, given our legacy, uh, we are, uh, you know, relative to the top two players in commercial real estate, uh, we've been around the least. So I would say we have the momentum. I would say that uh, the whole industry is watching every move. Just take a look at their press releases and, and the way they articulate their strategies when compared to ours. Um, but um, I would say that Collier's has been, 
consistently market leaders in secondary markets for a lot of years, places like Salt Lake City, Nashville, uh, Kansas City, the list goes on, Detroit. Uh, these are all Pittsburgh. These are markets that are evolving and changing as a result of COVID. And um, we're, seeing, uh, we're seeing new activity in these markets that we wouldn't have seen uh, historically. So I think that is, um, that is uh, it been a very, uh, very positive for us. And, um, and the, other, the, other, uh, the other area is that, um, you know, Collier's has, um, has really um, added lots of technology and a variety of differentiating, differentiated services to clients in a way that's allowed us to win greater share of business. And that has translated, as you can see, into uh, additional revenue streams. We hope that it continues. And, uh, you know, lastly, uh, we're the place of uh, choice for many of the top flight uh, professionals, especially ones that are on platforms that are in distress right now. And there's two or three that are in distress. And so that's opening uh, up opportunities for us, not just for professionals, but also for leadership, which as, as those that have followed us for a long period of time know, we always try and start with leaders and, um, and, and um, have them operate the Collier's way. Uh, and we believe that that is, uh, is, uh, is a differentiator for us as well. Okay, excellent. That's, uh, that's all for me. Thanks very much, and congrats, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Matt Logan with RBC Capital Markets. The line is open. Thank you, and good morning. Good morning. Just following up on some of the questioning uh, previously, in terms of your capital markets and lease brokerage businesses, those are both tracking well ahead of industry figures. Can you talk a little bit about what's driving the, the gains in market share? Is it simply the differentiation between secondary cities? Is it Collier's entrepreneurial culture? Or are there other factors in terms of technology that's driving that gap? Um, Matt, you know, there's a few things. And, and I think there's one single thing, but uh, there's a... Uh, a focus, obviously, on trying to improve our share. Uh, Jay already outlined kind of our, 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 our setup in a lot of the um, U.S. Uh, secondary cities, which I think has been a, a good factor during this current pandemic. We all know what's happened, unfortunately, to New York, where we also have an operation, but not nearly as significant as some of our other competitors. Um, you know, we have also been a company that has been, you know, over time, focus very much, again, thinking about the U.S. primarily, in suburban markets. And suburban markets, you know, have had, you know, gained a bit of a new life and a lot of interest uh, as a result of the pandemic. So we're very, very well positioned. We've also always been a, a pretty significant player in industrial, which, again, in various parts of the industrial um, built environment have been uh, actually growing during this period of time as a lot of that pro those properties are repositioned for supply chain uses and other things going forward. So that's a lot of it. 
Uh, in addition, we've been focused on building our corporate solutions business and uh, in our industry-leading uh, Collier 360 technology, which has actually allowed us to generate a lot of business along with the competencies of our, our team. And that has led to additional transaction work that is a long-term build, and we're getting incremental compounding impact of that, and it's actually generating a lot of additional activity. So when you put that all together, it's not surprising to see us make the gains that we have made. That's great, color. And maybe turning to the recurring piece of your business, without putting a number on it, would, be, would it be fair to characterize it as stable to modest growth? Yeah, I'd say on an overall basis that's, uh, that, that's, that's true, um, certainly, and with, uh, you know, obviously, a couple of uh, uh, pain points, uh, in, in, uh, as I described earlier, in, in, in project management, with delays on some on some uh, transactions. But generally, yes, it's uh, it's, it's flat to uh, be flat to up. And when we look out to 2021, uh, you know, you're approaching the 60% mark in terms of your recurring EBITDA, and you know, obviously, with a view to grow some of your recent platform acquisitions. How could we see that trending? Will the rebound in brokerage largely offset continued growth in uh, the recurring EBITDA, or could we see that 60% figure trend towards, say, 65? Um, you, you know, it's, it's, you're, you're making a couple of interesting uh, observations based on uh, the flow of our business. I, I would say that for the most part we're nicely balanced here. You know, would, would recurring move to 65% of our EBITDA over time? Maybe, maybe 70%, you know, looking out two or three years. But um, our, our transactional services, capital markets and, and uh, leasing are critical, important, essential services and so they will always be part of our mix, and they're the front of Collier's. They call on clients every single day. One of the, one of the great benefits that uh, I don't think gets enough airtime is we have 5,000 professionals calling on clients around the world every day, offering a variety of Collier's services of any sort, whatever the client might need, and that army of professionals is very valuable and, um, and is, is uh, a critical part of our long-term strategy. So I don't know how it balances out long-term, but I would say that we're now getting to the point where um, we feel that the balance is give or take, um, uh, give, give or take the right balance for Collier's as we see it. Appreciate that. Maybe you know, taking that one step further, when you think about investments in talent and technology, how would you compare that to the opportunity for just traditional M&A or tuck under acquisitions? Like, how big or is there an uptick in the opportunity to invest in talent and technology in the current environment? Well, uh, so, yes, you know, a a absolutely. We're spending um, some very focused time 
with our business leaders who ultimately have responsibility for building our, our capabilities, our people capabilities. And uh, as Jay has indicated earlier, I mean, there's, there, there's, uh, there's lots of uncertainty generally in the market right now. On, on top of that, some of the other platforms, uh, for a variety of reasons, whether it's potentially perceived instability or maybe, you know, places that are maybe too crowded relative to the amount of business that's available and, uh, and the complement of people pursuing that within those businesses, there's a lot of white space, as we say at Collier's, and uh, we're having success attracting this talent. We're focused on it. Uh, we're not going to do things that uh, don't make sense for us, but we're going to uh, continue to try and attract um, professionals who can be highly successful within the Collier's global platform, and that goes, you know, that's really a a across the world. So we're absolutely on that. Um, of course, during a time of uncertainty, there's lots of emotions that uh, get, uh, get, have to be processed by uh, those that we're talking to. But we've already had some really good success. We're kind of a little bit behind where we wanted to be because of the pandemic, but um, we, uh, we're, we're all over this and think there's a tremendous opportunity for callers to build uh, our bench over the coming months and into 2021. Appreciate the caller. That's all from me. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm showing no further questions at this time. I would now turn the call back over to management for closing comments. Thank you very much, operator. Thanks, everyone, for participating in today's call. Uh, the fourth quarter is an important quarter for Collier's. Let's hope that we have a strong one and look forward to uh, speaking again in uh, early February. Have a good day. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.